0: All right, back on the Young Turks, um, as I promised all you guys in the last half hour, we got some fun stories for you guys for a change. Uh, it's been a pretty serious show, obviously, with uh, our troops getting uh, bombed uh, in Iraq uh, as we speak. Um, but uh, we will lighten it up a little bit then for the members. So we got a story about Judge Judy backing Mike Bloomberg. When I, If you don't know how much Judge Judy makes per year, you will fall out of your chair. It is amazing, and uh, I have really good news for you guys that's amusing. That's all in the last half hour, that's tyt.com join uh, to join us uh, in becoming a member, get all of our content, and support independent media. Okay, joining me now is Adam Iken. he is Campaigns Manager for Equal Citizens. Adam, welcome to the Young Turks.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Adam, there's uh, so many fun things that I wanna talk to you about, and important things, including how grassroots money beat Amazon in Seattle, that's an amazing story, let me get to that in a second. First for folks who don't know, what is Equal Citizens?
1: So Equal Citizens is an organization founded by Harvard Law Professor Lawrence Lessig. He was on last night. Uh, talking with the show, uh, and our basic mission is to fight for citizen equality. So fight for campaign finance reform, making sure that every American has a right to vote, ending gerrymandering, establishing ranked choice voting, and reforming the Electoral College. All the ways our democracy is broken, we're looking to fight to fix it.
0: So on the issue of uh, voting rights. When it comes to the voter suppression that Republicans are doing all across the country, you guys have an interesting idea that Congress can enact legislation banning the states from doing that. Conventional wisdom says no, it's the states that set those laws. So what are folks getting wrong?
1: Well. The Constitution is pretty clear. States can, can control state elections, but Congress very clearly has the authority to regulate congressional elections. Uh, and so earlier this year, the House of Representatives passed, or I guess earlier last year, the House of Representatives passed HR one, the For the People Act. What that did is it established a federal oversight of elections in many ways, uh, mandating things like automatic voter registration, same-day voter registration, restoring voting rights to those who are convicted of felonies, uh, all within the purview of Congress. And it's my view, and I think it's the view of equal citizens as well, that Democrats, Republicans, those fighting for reform need to be very clear that we need Congress to step up to ensure that every American has the right to vote. You know, It's incredibly important what states are doing across the country to ensure the right to vote. It's incredibly important uh, what states are doing to regulate campaign finance. Uh, But Congress does need to do its job just like it did in 1965 to ensure with the passage of the Voting Rights Act uh, that everybody in America had the right to vote regardless of the color of your skin. That states efforts to suppress the vote are unacceptable and we can't stand for them. And Congress has that power and it's time for them to use it.
0: So the Voting Rights Act analogy is very compelling. I wanna get back to what the Democrats are doing in a second. But first, I noticed that Jim Sensenbrenner, a Republican from Wisconsin, introduced legislation to basically have a new Voting Rights Amendment Act. Is that real? Is there an actual Republican in the country who doesn't mind people voting?
1: There, there was a Republican bill yes um, the the better bill uh, was introduced by a, a Democrat if I do say so myself uh, but there are people across the country that are looking to restore the Voting Rights Act it's it's a absolutely egregious that it hasn't been after the Supreme Court gutted it in 2013 in the Shelby County decision uh, which kind of gutted the the uh, pre-clearance provision the map that determined pre-clearance one of the most successful pieces of federal legislation in our country's history pertaining to the right to vote uh, but yeah I mean look you look at it across the country and when you talk to ordinary voters, whether they're a Republican or a Democrat, uh, I believe that Americans uh, support the right to vote. Now, it's a different story when you're talking about uh, potentially state level Republican elected officials, where they seem to be uh, trying to repeal and suppress the right to vote at every turn when given the chance. Uh, but the right to vote and our democracy more broadly is still an American issue.
0: So indeed, uh, So Adam, sorry to to jump in. So you mentioned HR1 earlier, and so was this confirming the right to vote nationally in congressional elections, was it in HR1?
1: Well, many provisions of H.R. 1 would establish federal oversight of elections in some respects, like with ensuring that every state have automatic voter registration or same day registration. Uh, later, the, the United States Congress, the, the House at least, uh, passed the reauthorization of the Voting Rights Act 2. Um, I mean, there are ways to go further than this. Uh, I mean, uh, Right. Elizabeth Warren yeah. has a good plan on democracy reform that would establish uh, you know, more oversight, more aggressive oversight. Sanders, likewise, uh, has proposed a complete abolition of felony disenfranchisement. He's one of the only people on the field to go so far as to say that the right to vote should never be taken away, regardless if you're convicted of a felony. Uh, that's a very phenomenal proposal that goes beyond HR 1. And Sanders and a couple other candidates like Amy Klobuchar seem to be toying with a, a system of universal registration, such that whenever 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 you turn 18, whenever somebody turns 18, you're automatically registered to vote. It's slightly different than what we call automatic voter registration, where you interact with a governmental agency and you are automatically registered to vote there. But there are a lot of great ideas going around. The key then is to move some of this legislation from the House to the Senate and get it past Mitch McConnell, which has proven to be a Herculean effort.
0: Right. Um, I wanna get on Amazon, but I gotta ask you just a a little bit more about this. So this is one that all the Democrats should be united on because it's not a progressive or or moderate or conservative Democrat issue. It's whether Democrats are even allowed to vote. So it's in their self interest. So there should be no disagreement here. So why not push for universal registration period for all the Democrats? What's the downside?
1: Well, I think that that's something that is is becoming more nor, normalized uh, among the caucus. I think that you know we've taken progressive steps. Uh, you know, states across the country have passed automatic voter registration. They're the ones who led with AVR uh, in in the states, and I think that you know in some respects the the you know congressional Democrats were behind on some of these policies, really? but now they're <laughs> ready to catch up. And uh, you know, but look, that said, I say that jokingly. It's incredibly exciting. That uh, HR 1 passed nearly unanimously within the Democratic caucus. I think one person missed it. I think he, uh, I forget who it was, uh, wasn't present for it. But essentially, every Democrat voted for it. I don't believe there was a single Republican who voted for it, unless you uh, consider the former uh, Democrat now Republican in New Jersey. Uh, so maybe <laughs> it is a bipartisan bill now.
0: Yeah, Jeff Andrew. Yeah. Um, so look, last thing on this. Uh, so why doesn't McConnell move on it? Uh, my thesis is the mainstream media. Uh, they don't tell people that McConnell uh, is blocking the right to vote, but he, which he quite literally is. And so is our main opponent here, the fact that the media will call uh, this issue 50-50, even though it is not remotely 50-50?
1: I mean, I think that there just has to be more awareness of the fact that Mitch McConnell is blocking H.R. 1. I think if you were to pull the provisions in H.R. 1, they're overwhelmingly possible. Uh, or, or positive, rather, the Americans approve of it. I mean, a, a recent poll from the New York Times a couple of years ago showed that 85 percent of Americans wanted fundamental change in the way we fund our elections. And HR one has a public financing provision in it. Um, and if you know, if we actually really drew attention to the fact that Mitch McConnell is blocking something that the overwhelming majority of Americans would support, uh, it may actually add some pressure to Mitch McConnell. That said, he's been very clear that he thinks that HR one, this pro democracy. You know, with a small D democracy, democratic bill um, is a power play to support the big capital D Democrats. Uh, of course, that's ridiculous. This is just a bill to enfranchise and empower everyday Americans. Uh, so he's yeah. clearly playing some political games here. No,
0: no, it's uh, clear to people who care about facts, but uh, to so-called sure. reporters, they don't care about the facts. Uh, what they care about is, uh, I'm going to. Uh, I need access to Republicans, so I will. I'll hide the facts from our readers, from our viewers, and pretend that Mitch McConnell also cares about democracy, and pretend that this is a 50/50 issue. When, as you point out, 85% of Americans say no, McConnell is wrong. We actually think that everybody should vote. Uh, if the media covered it accurately, they would point out that McConnell is against voting rights, but instead they cover for him and aid and abet uh, his anti-democratic. Uh, principles okay that's my opinion it's clear let's move on to Amazon uh, so uh, what was Amazon trying to do in Seattle and and then how did we beat it back
1: so I think the story of Amazon is one of the most fascinating and encouraging uh, Stories of the last local elections in 2019. Amazon, in a coalition of big business in Seattle, spent about four million dollars to try and influence the city council there. Uh, this is after the city council tried to impose a head tax uh, on Amazon and like uh, like-minded businesses, big big businesses, to try and um, you know get some revenue from them. Uh, Amazon fought back. The city council repealed the tax, Uh, it's a long story and Amazon said that's not enough, it's not enough, we won, we're gonna try and take over the city council. Now Seattle in 2015 passed a public financing system in which every resident gets four $25 vouchers that they can give to any eligible local candidate for office. And this public financing system, it was remarkably successful in 2017. And in 2019, almost every single candidate ran on vouchers. And what these vouchers did is it gave every progressive candidate who was running against Amazon a chance to be a viable candidate. It gave them the necessary money to start their campaign, be a viable candidate, and run for office successfully. And in the end, Amazon lost in five of the six places where there was a clear pro-Amazon candidate and an anti-Amazon candidate. So this is a remarkable success story of the power of public financing of elections.
0: Yeah, I love that story, and it's super encouraging. It's only twenty-five bucks. I think the democracy dollars that Andrew Yang talks about is a similar proposal, even better, arguably. Brandon wanted to make it six hundred bucks. Totally agree. Can I hear a thousand? So, but I want to, Adam, I want to get a sense of scale. Uh, so, Amazon spent four million bucks and still lost. How, I, I don't know if you know this specific fact, how much were the people who were taking the public financing vouchers able to raise?
1: Uh, I would have to double check that for you. But I mean, they were able to raise not quite enough to compete with all the outside spending. Again, Amazon spent about 1.5 in conjunction with a larger business coalition of 4 million. Uh, So the candidates and both sides, the kind of Amazon candidates and the anti-Amazon candidates, uh, both accepted for the most part these vouchers. Um, So again, the vouchers extended to both sides of this debate. Uh, But what it did is it created a threshold to run that viable Uh, campaign. And in the end, they were released from their spending limits and were able to raise more from the grassroots. And one of the things here that's so amazing about these vouchers is it's not just the public money, right? It's also about the ways in which when you actually give in Seattle four $25 vouchers to everyday voters, they all of a sudden become politically interested in many respects, right? It gives them a sense that their voice matters and that may well have increased Ah, uh, the amount that they were paying attention uh, to politics or municipal politics, that is because what you also saw is in addition to vouchers, you see you saw a proliferation of small dollar donations as well. So in addition to the vouchers, so more research yeah, has to yeah. be done on this story. But it may well have been that these public financing vouchers actually really encourage civic engagement in a way that might have been unprecedented there.
0: All right, one super last thing. I think that it being a quote unquote Amazon candidate is just about the saddest thing in the world. Were they all Republicans or were they Democrats too?
1: Oh, It's Seattle, so a lot of these people were pretty progressive in for the you know national Politics. Um, So it really was a a defined case of of local politics. It wasn't quite along the left-right split.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't say they were progressive. I would say they were uh, people pretending to be Democrats while being Amazon candidates, something we do see uh, all across the country. Um, Okay, Uh, Adam Eiken from Equal Citizens, thank you for joining us. Great conversation.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: All right, no problem. All right, uh, when we come back, uh, our own Jonathan Larson. did we get Amy Klobuchar to stop uh, participating, or at least uh, leading the National Prayer Breakfast group? Well, it's got some nuance to it, but it's a really cool story. We'll talk about that when we come back. All right, back on the Young Turks. Um, joining me now is our uh, own managing editor uh, Jonathan Larson. Uh, he uh, is at TYT Investigates. That's the objective reporting arm of uh, the Young Turks. Jonathan, I wanna talk to you about a couple of stories uh, that are coming out uh, and have come out. One's about Buttigieg. Before we go to Klobuchar on the prayer breakfast, let's talk about this one. So uh, The Root is coming out with a story about Buttigieg. Uh, What can you tell us about it and how do we work with them on it?
2: Production between TYT and The Root, uh, it'll be published at TYT.com tomorrow. Uh, if everything works out um, and as well as on the route. And essentially what happened was a source in South Bend uh, provided me with some documents and I was looking into them. And the source told me that they had heard that Mike Harriet of the route had also been um, had also uh, come into possession of these documents. And so I reached out to Mike, who uh, you may remember sort of had a, a moment of fame there when he wrote a piece for The Root saying Judge is a lying MF. Uh, he then got an interview with Judge, all of this stuff. So I asked him, hey, I, you know, I've heard you've got these documents too, you wanna work together? And he said, yeah, so he did. It's funny what the different people's reactions are. Uh, t- because if
0: you had called Buttigieg a lying MF, I'm pretty sure he wouldn't have given you an interview. Uh,
2: but <laughs> but I'm- I've been asking for an interview since April, so
0: <laughs> maybe I've been going about it wrong. Right, but but I, I love Mike's work and I'm glad he did that piece cuz it wasn't about the curse. It was the substance of what he wrote in that piece that was challenging a Buttigieg in exactly the right way. And I, I've actually read the story that's gonna come out tomorrow and it is a doozy. So uh, please, everybody, check out tyt.com and the Root for that story coming out about Buttigieg and uh, and and honestly about African Americans and law enforcement in South Bend. Uh, it's amazing, I, you know, the fact that the mainstream media is not covering it is astounding. I mean, I'll ask you one more thing about that, and then we'll move on to Klobuchar. Um, Jonathan, how do you think the mainstream media would have covered it if you or anyone else had broken a story about? Uh, when uh, Bernie Sanders, uh, as mayor of Burlington, had uh, demoted the black police chief, and there were cops on tape who were saying, uh, "We got to Bernie's donors and got him to to get rid of the black police chief so that white people can be in charge," how do you think the press might have reacted to that one?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, there there are. You know, you can possibly defend it if if they don't trust TYT, if they're not used to the fact that we are now doing original reporting by the same rules, if not better than the ones that that give us the content at the AP and the New York Times. Maybe that's the best defense you can offer, but um, that's not a good one because it's pretty easy, right? You can just go to the Buddha judge folks and say, "Hey, is this reporting true or not?"
0: Yeah, it's the bare minimum.
2: Or you might actually go to South Bend and find out for yourself if it's true or not. We're not. Well, asked. actually, some of them have tried. <laughs> I, I've been told by my sources that some of them are have gone to South Bend, and for whatever reason, they haven't been able to come up with the same stuff, or uh, they haven't have decided not to go with it. I don't know. Yeah.
0: Fairly convenient, it appears to me, but that's my opinion. All right, let's go back to your reporting. So a story out about Amy Klobuchar and the National Prayer Breakfast. So has she hasn't exactly dropped out, has she? What has she done with the National Prayer Breakfast?
2: So. Every year, the uh, National Prayer Breakfast sends out an invitation on con- essentially, uh, it, all, it looks like congressional letterhead. And you see all the members of the House and all the members of the Senate and the two co-chairs from Congress, who are inviting you whoever you might be, uh, Russian or otherwise, to the National Prayer Breakfast. And it's it's typically the people who are at the heart of, closest to the Fellowship Foundation, aka the family. Who show up on on this letterhead? We saw last year's letterhead. Amy Klobuchar was there. She's been a, a participant in the in the breakfast before. This year, we got we we actually asked the T Y T Army for help to identify who was going this year. We were using hashtag Democrats in the Family, and we got a tip. We followed it up. The Fellowship Foundation confirmed that the letterhead that we found was accurate. Klobuchar is not on it. Does that mean she's not going? Does that mean she's not participating in some way? We don't know, she didn't answer.
0: But she has clearly taken some action to take herself off that letterhead.
2: Well, it's hard without knowing the process. The Fellowship Foundation didn't exactly explain it either. Is there some other reason she's not on other than wanting to distance herself? We don't know. But we did find out by comparing that the number of Democrats compared to Republicans there's a greater disparity this year than we've seen in the past. And a number of uh, Democrats um, are gone. And a fair amount of the number who are new to the list are fairly new to Congress as well. So it's and and there's not by the I should note also a lot of progressives there. And last year, as you recall, Ro Khanna and Ted Lieu, both progressive members of the House told us that at least in part in response to our reporting, they had some questions about the breakfast and the Fellowship Foundation's involvement, and they were not they were not inclined to go. So whether that trend is continuing, whether other people are starting to pay attention to our reporting, to the Netflix documentary, to the FBI uh, findings about, about what went on with the Russians, we don't know. All right, so I, I wanna get
0: to um, one of the financiers of this group in a second, cuz that's a really interesting part of the story and connects to some of the Democrats. Uh, but uh, first, um, look, my opinion is that this is an extremist group, um, and Democrats that go to it are aiding and abetting this group, uh, and they shouldn't. Uh, there's plenty of other places to get breakfast in DC, uh, but, uh, but let's, let's talk about the facts here. Uh, what are the concerns about the prayer breakfast group?
2: So the concerns go back quite, quite a ways. Um, President Obama got some heat from LGBTQ groups and allies for his, for speaking to the, the Fellowship Foundation's breakfast because there was some reported involvement with anti-gay legislation in Uganda. when I say anti-gay, I mean death penalty anti-gay. Um, so that was one thing. More recently, the FBI reported that the family, a leader in the family, they didn't name him, but we found out who it was, uh, essentially handed Maria Butina and Alexander Torshin, Russian operatives, tickets to the National Prayer Breakfast, which we now know thanks to the FBI. The the Russians were hoping to use to exploit the connections that they can make there to to influence US policy, to to network and make connections that would benefit them. Um, And we also found TYT reported that uh, the family, the Fellowship Foundation sponsored congressional travel to Europe. That included meetings with um, anti-gay leaders and anti-Semitic leaders. And the other thing we reported was that not only did the the fellowship um, give tickets to Russians, we found through tax returns that an affiliated group who which was connected with the same leader that the FBI identified without naming, same guy was was involved there, that group reported expenses related to Russian attendance, meaning that someone somewhere decided, to spend some money to bring the Russians there where that money came from who made that decision and why again we still don't know and that was part of what Rokana and ted lu were concerned about was we without knowing more we don't know exactly what we're participating in obviously i'm paraphrasing but that was that was the gist of some of the concerns
0: it was always insane for the democrats to participate in this obvious right wing group uh, so, oh, we're just having prayer together, no, they're sending people to go uh, execute gay people in Uganda. It's, it's absolutely outrageous, let alone all the other place they're going to try to pass LG, uh, anti-LGBTQ uh, legislation. That's Before we even found out, I was gonna say about the Russian infiltration, but it wasn't much of an infiltration because you're reporting, we find out, no, they were actually invited in and, and paid for to some degree. Uh, and and so they could not only influence Republicans, but Democrats. Which then leads me to the question of, uh, why are the Democrats doing this? Uh, and I notice in your latest story that there's a Delaware poultry magnet, Ron Cameron, who finances uh, this uh, breakfast and this group. And look at that, the two biggest Democrats still involved are Chris Coons and Tom Carper, senators from Delaware. What an amazing
2: coincidence. Yeah, well, the um, the. Ron Cameron, as as others reported first, um, is a, a poultry billionaire. He's also very close to Donald Trump. He spent uh, at least close enough to have spent the 2018 midterms uh, election eve watching the returns at the White House with Trump. He gives to Republicans all over the country, but not in Delaware. In Delaware. Uh, Coons and Carper have been left alone, and what that means, we don't know. Yeah, I know, I know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Your job is to report the facts, my job is to interpret them. Well, look at that, there's two Democrats that Ron Cameron has decided that he is not going to spend money against. In a sense, that's a form of bribery, you could just give to the Republicans as he does, or you could withhold from Republicans in Delaware, kind of a protection racket from this chicken hawk, if you will. And lo and behold, Coons and Carper wind up cheerleading for your extremist right wing group. Funny how that turns out. Look, there are still several other Democrats that are on the letterhead, generally speaking, who are they?
2: So as I mentioned earlier, that a fair number of them are new to Congress, and a fair number of them are um, conservative Democrats. Uh, there are a bu- uh, uh, we lost a bunch from last year's invitation, but this year's new Democrats from the Senate anyway, because there are fewer there. Uh, Tim Kaine, Joe Manchin, and um, Doug Jones. Mm-hmm. Joe Manchin, really? Right. <laughs> right, and and look to, to to your point about we've always known they were right wing. All of this, the former leader Doug Coe made a point of reaching out to Democrats. Right, uh, um, Gore, Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton. These people had relationships and connections with Coe. How true that is now, it's unclear because it's also not a monolith. The the organization is not a monolith, and and to some extent there are indications that there are tensions within the group of what it should be and how it should conduct itself in the future, both around the breakfast and obviously in in its other activities as well. And and to your point about Democrats participating or not participating, do you you mind if I bring up Jess Rain or were you gonna bring her up? No, no, go ahead. Okay, so um, after our story went up yesterday, uh, Jess Rain is a progressive candidate who is primaring Chris Coons in Delaware for the Senate seat. And she retweeted the article and she said, I'm quoting her tweet now, most Democrats are clearly distancing themselves from the National Prayer Breakfast, rightfully so, since it sponsors sanction, homophobia and bigotry. So why does at Chris Coons still proudly support this event?
0: By the way, Chris Coons also one of the biggest surrogates for Joe Biden. But God forbid the national media should ask him about that either. Okay, uh, but we do reporting at TYT, uh, and Jonathan uh, is among the folks who do it, thanks to you guys. Um, So uh, TYT.com, the Klobuchar story and the prayer breakfast story is out today. And then uh, the big Buttigieg story drops tomorrow, so everybody check that out as well. Jonathan, thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you, and if, if, if I could take a second. If the TYT army wants to get in touch with their representatives and ask them. Are you planning to attend? Are you planning to participate in this year's national prayer breakfast? Use the hashtag Democrats in the family on Twitter. Let us know.
0: All right, wonderful. All right, thank you, Jonathan. Thanks, Jen. Yep. Uh, when we come back uh, for the members, uh, Judge Judy uh, makes an interesting, if not compelling case for Mike Bloomberg. And then I had really good news yesterday uh, that I wanted to share with you guys. Mm, what is that? TYT.com slash join and become a member and get the post game. We'll be right back.